believe it or not, even your pastor gets down on himself. Everyone that knows me is rolling their eyes like, yes, we know that, brother. But uh, anyone else have these, these moments when you don't really know what you're doing? When it feels like you're not doing a great job in one area of your life or many areas of your life, you're like, man, if I could just be a better parent or man, if I could just do better at this job or man, if I could just be a better husband or wife and the self-talk starts to come. My self-talk gets rolling and who gets the self-talk the most is my wife, Meg. My, I do have a wife. For those of you who's new here, you're like, why is Kurt always staying up there? She is up with the kids. She runs the kids ministry and she does an awesome job. Everyone loves Miss Meg. Uh, everyone loves Miss Meg more than Mr. Kurt, but that's all right. And, uh, and, uh, but, but what's interesting is that uh, she's going to be here January 29th. Everyone come and meet her. But uh, she always goes through and prays two things over us. Whenever me or the kids have this like self-talk that's going, she prays two things over us. She always prays that we would actually see ourselves the way that people who love us see us. That we would see ourselves the way that the people who care and love about us the most see us. And then she also prays this powerful prayer that we somehow in the midst of all this going on in our head, that we would see how God sees us. And so many times we're sitting there thinking, Lord, I can't see past this moment that I'm currently living in. And as I counsel and as I meet with a lot of people in the church over and over again, I sit there in my chair as I listen to people and I just want to shake them and be like, if you only saw yourself the way that I know people who love you see you, or if you only see your, saw, saw yourself the way God sees you, it would change everything in, your, in the atmosphere. It, it really would. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our self-doubt, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our self-hate, we would see this. We would see people who love us, and they would just cry out if they were in that room, see yourself how I see you. And in the midst of the self-doubt and the suffering and the anxiety, God is calling the same thing. God is saying, see yourself the way that I see you. And today, we're going to go into Mark. And as we look at Mark, we're going to look at two stories, but we're going to look at three characters within those stories, okay? So we're going to look at these characters, and we're going to look at what the text says about them. And there's three questions that I think shape these men's stories. The three questions are this. How do they view themselves? How do they view Jesus? And how does Jesus view them in return? Okay? So how do they view themselves? How do they view Jesus? And then because of this, how does Jesus view them? And we're going to look at this at the same time. We're going to look at these perspectives that bring us insights into how we are to live and how we are not to live. Okay, so I love this. We're going to jump right in. Mark 1, 40. Remember where we left out off. Jesus is traveling around Galilee, starting his ministry. And we see that he's preaching and why he's at it. He's casting out some demons. Uh, Mark just like throws it in multiple times. You're going to see it multiple times in the Mark. Like, and he casts out many demons, all right? Just like this, throw it out there. Mark 1.40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Everyone say clean. clean. First, this is a bold move for the leper. The leper is a, is a really debilitating disease. It, it's a progressively disfiguring disease. This would not be a man that you would look at. You'd be like, 
oh my goodness, let's invite him to the party. Okay? We see this. We have a, the physical pain of the skin disease would have been a pitiful existence alone. But also we see that he would have been excluded from society. This have been a no-go. The book of Leviticus in chapters 13 and 14 lay out, two full chapters lay out what to do with people with skin disease. So I'm going to read it. Lord, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, they may be a defiling skin disease. They must be brought to Aaron, the priest. Thank God that I am a pastor in 2023. If you know anything about me, I would not sign up for that. But listen, there's hope. Or to one of his sons. So Jeremiah and Abe, if there's ever anybody that needs to come in, they could have uh, examined these themselves. Who is a priest, and the priest is to examine the sore on the skin. And if the hair in the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, or is defining skin disease, when the priest examines the person again, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. I'm not going to keep reading it, but there was a process to this leper that would come in, and they would have been excluded from society. They would have not been allowed in. And there's this whole process with the priest. And the examination, and if people can enter the community or they can't, this is how it would have worked. This was a big deal. Leprosy brought pain and suffering at all levels. It's at all levels. We think about the physical pain. If you've ever had a rash or you've ever had something that's uh, on your skin that your clothes can't touch, that drive you crazy, it's bad enough. But what we see is there's much more. And what we see is much like the sin in our lives. It can actually be more damaging in the mental and social pain than the actual disease or the actual sin itself, right? And we see that leprosy is this close illustration to the sin of our lives. And we instantly see how this man views himself. This man views himself as desperate. This man views himself as desperate. In the world's eyes, and in the religious leader's eyes, he had an incurable disease that causes pain physically, but maybe even harder and makes him an outcast. And he's desperate to be what? He's desperate to be cleansed. It's amazing how pain and suffering and sickness can serve us in this way, right? We're all experiencing these challenges in our lives. And one of the things that's interesting about challenges in our lives is that there's kind of one or two choices. And we see this all the time. You can either run further from God, but if you really want it taken care of, you get desperate and you run closer to God. And we see that this happens and we see that pains and aches and diseases and sin and challenges, they make us and they keep us from being our full selves. But at the same time, it leads us to a desperation for Jesus. And we see this in the man with leprosy. He responds like this. He shows us that how he views Jesus. So we see how he views himself, but how does he view Jesus? It says he falls on his knees. He, he begs. He's taking this subservient position to Jesus. And we look at this. We, we see how does Jesus view him. And we ask, Jesus views him in this, the way that he wants to base off of his action. And we understand the power and authority that Jesus has. And the man says, if you are willing and without doubting, Jesus' ability says, you can make me clean. He humbly begs Jesus. 
Also notice that he doesn't ask Jesus just to heal him, right? He says, he doesn't say just heal me. He says, be clean. I want to be made clean. This Greek word here can be used for both the physical and the ceremonial cleansing, the religious cleansing that needed to be taking place. So he's saying, I have this physical condition that needs to be cleansed. I, I have these, this clearly debilitating disease that needs to be cleansed. But even in the same breath, he's also saying this, in my innermost being, I need to be cleansed as well. He understands who Jesus is, and he understands that not only can he heal me in my physical, but inside, all the muck, all the mess, all the things that are going wrong in my life, in the innermost being, I need to be cleansed. And he says this, and he knows that only Jesus can do this. Mark 1, 41-42, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now there's an interesting line here, uh, moved with pity. There's multiple translations and some translations actually say Jesus was angry, right? And some of them say he was moved with pity or he was compassionate towards him. We lost the screen over there. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, but he was moved with pity. And I find it always interesting in that it's weird to think about Jesus responding angrily, right? Like that's a, that's a weird thing to think about. It wasn't that he was annoyed by this man. It wasn't that he was exhausted. Either compassionately or with anger, Jesus views the man's condition. Jesus views the man's condition and he views his desperation and he views the man's faith and he appropriately responds. Jesus always appropriately responds and he responds. You can read it how you want. There's different translations. He either is angry or with compassion. I think it's the same thing because he responds to a devastating disease, a disease that leads this man to be away from society. A disease that keeps him so far, and he responds to the brokenness of this man's life. And what's most important, and hear me say this, he responds with anger or compassion to something that was never supposed to be like that. How many times do we find ourselves in a condition, and Jesus is viewing us, and when we come with desperation, we come with our hands wide open, he's like, this is never how it was meant to be. And I can heal and I can cleanse and your innermost being, whether it's your fault or something that happened to you, I can make you clean and we come with desperation and Jesus is going to respond with compassion or anger, whatever you want, but in a good way because he's going to say, I need to make this right because this is not how it was meant to be. When we live in a fallen and broken world, when we live in a fallen and broken world where people can do stuff to you or our own kind of moronic choices can lead us there, Jesus says, I can make it clean and I'm willing. This man's desperate in pain with what seems to be incurable. This man comes with desperate faith and instantly we see complete and visible healing. After years of suffering, after years of pain, after years of being told you will never be cured because that was happening. After years of saying, you're not allowed in this community. And for years, he must have heard this. And we see Jesus, the only thing that will make him whole, and he truly cleanses him, and Jesus restores his life. Just like that. And he does that for each of us. 
When we come with our desperate faith, when we come and we bow down and we put whatever is out there, Jesus responds to the things that were not meant to be in this world. Mark 1, 43 through 45, let's keep going. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. I would have done probably the same thing for being completely honest. So that Jesus could now no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is like one of those things. We're going to talk about it. But uh, we see that Jesus uses some forceful language here. He sends him out and he gives him the strong warning. He's saying, you really need to obey me here. This is the way you can translate it. This is very important that you do this. How many times do we hear that from Jesus and we still go and do our own thing? But it's interesting. We see this time and time again. He, he commands silence. And it's probably to, to kind of minimize so that he can still work free, freely. But he demands silence. But we see Jesus wants to avoid misunderstanding. And he doesn't want a premature response to him. But here he tells the man to go show himself to the priest. Now, one of the reasons, I think, is when, in Leviticus 14, we only read 13, but 14, there's a whole process to get back into the community. So Jesus is saying, this is important. Go into the priest. Go to, the, to, to see what's going on. But here again, we also see this. Jesus is always going to have, listen to me hear this, in Mark, you're going to see this in all the gospel. Jesus always has a special eye for the religious leaders. He always has a special eye for the religious leaders. And he says, I'm going to go to have you go do the religious rituals because I want you to, what does it say? I want you to be proof to them. I want you to be proof to them. We're going to talk about this later, but this is the demand for the testimony to be sent to the religious leaders. He's going to be a convincing witness to these guys. And he's going to say the, the cleansing of the leper was this, undeniable sign that God is working in a new way. This is what it's declaring. This leper was going to go to be a testimony and a witness to say, look at what God is doing. And what we see is that the cleansing of the leper was an undeniable sign. Jesus saw the needs of people, was going to respond to the needs of people. He was going to work in power and authority. And Jesus wants the man to go tell the priests because once the religious leaders see this man and declare him clean. They have to ask how. And when they ask how, they can't reject the one who cleansed them, right? And this unbelief and this incriminating evidence would have happened. But of course, we see the man doesn't do that. And so we're going to keep going. But we're going to talk about this because we're going to see multiple times that Jesus has this eye for religious leaders. And as a result, Jesus' preaching ministry gets even harder and he can't go and move freely about. And so we see next, Jesus is preaching back in Capernaum. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Jesus is back home. Jesus is probably at uh, Peter and Andrew's house. And, we, and news is spreading rapidly. And the house is filled with people. And Jesus is doing Jesus things. He's preaching, like we talked about, and, he's, and, and we see these 
caring, persistent, paralyzed friends or friends of the paralytic come into the story. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. We see just like the man with leprosy, we see these men, they view their situation and they view themselves as completely desperate. But different than the man with leprosy, we see that their desperate need is for another. This is so huge for us to see. For their friend who is obviously, they have a deep love for. They have a deep love for this friend. And what we see is that they're at their end of the rope. They, they, they have taken all that they can do to take care of this friend. And now what we see is that they view Jesus as the only answer to the friend's need. They're going to do anything to get the friend to Jesus. And we look at this story, two things came to my mind. One is like the man of leprosy, do we understand our own, own desperate need, right? But we also see this, that, that I hope that each person in here has friends like the paralyzed man. I really do. One of the things that I love about the size of our church, I believe that at this current moment, that there would be everyone in here would have a couple people that I hope would be like the paralyzed man's friends, right? People who will do anything for you. People that even when sickness hits, the man who is paralyzed, just think about this. The person had to be fed. He had to be washed. He probably had to be helped to the bathroom. And in return, this paralyzed man can do nothing back to love them the same way. Think about this. So many people come into my office and it's amazing. They're going through something. They're going through some hardship. They're going through some challenge and it's like blinders on them that there's anybody that would help, let alone the church. You know, I don't know where this is going to come. I don't know where this is going to, what is, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? The church is here for you. We have friends like the paralytic men for you. Do you understand that? These friends go at all costs to get him to Jesus. Number two, do we believe the same thing when it comes to our friends in need? Not only are we willing to put in the effort to show our love in this way, but when our friends go through hard times, when our friends go through struggles, when our friends go through pain and suffering, do we really believe that bringing them to Jesus is the most important thing? Do we really believe that there's no there's no kind of self-help or there's no right words that we can say to change that person's situation. I believe that self-help and the words that we say can be helpful. Of course, I'm not saying that. I think it can move them from here to here. But if they want complete cleansing and healing, it's only Jesus. And any of us who have walked through hell knows that, right? When anybody's looked at our lives before, and then we look at our lives after Jesus, the same pains and the same challenges come, but everything makes sense. Everything is healed. Everything is cleansed. But do we believe that with our own friends? That only Jesus can help them. He's the one who comforts them. He's the one that heals them. He's the one who desperately needs them. Meg helps me with this. The time. Meg should be preaching the sermon apparently, but Meg helps me with this all the time. People will come into 
to have a conversation with me. And she, she says over and over again, remember, Kurt, your job is not, to, is not to heal them yourself. Your job is to point them to Jesus so that he can heal them. And, and when we do it and we take it on ourselves, we're always going to mess it up just as much as anyone. But like the paralytic friends, man, and our friends, we just have to get them to the foot of the cross. We just have to get them to Jesus. And what we see is these friends show up and they just need to be to Jesus. And they show up and the task is impossible because there's a house party happening. There's not a single room happening, right? They're like shoved into this little room. We have a little bit of seating here, but uh, it'd be much like this. And we see this, that they climb on the flat roof. They dig through clay and sticks and grass. Just imagine, Jesus is standing here on this little stage. I can imagine this. And all of a sudden, this drywall starts falling on his head, right? Now, just so you know, we got a security team, so I'm hoping they're hopping in there, although I don't see them anywhere. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, no, I'm joking. They're right over there. But, it, you know, just imagine this was happening. Because the, the security team... And the pastor of the church, me, be like, there's vandalism happening. Call the Lakewood police. Get these dudes off this roof, right? But Jesus doesn't view it like that. The men view their desperate need, but Jesus views these men. He says the removal of the, the roof is not an act of vandalism. The removal of the work is an act of faith. Mark 2, 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's remarkable. This, this story shows up in three of the Gospels, Mark, Matt, Luke, and Matthew. In all three narratives, it says Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. He was able to see this faith. And I think it's awesome because he saw this faith that, faith that was not going to be defeated. Uh, Jesus knew they saw difficulties. If this is a packed room, they come to the door. They're not getting in. This is creative. I think, I think Jesus likes the creativity, if we're being honest. And he sees his faith, and he responds to it. Now we see this. Jesus is not only going to heal the man, but he forgives him of his sins as well. And this sets off the religious leaders. Mark 2, 6-7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, whenever reading Jesus, there's a couple things you have to remember. You have to remember that oftentimes there's multiple things going on. He, Jesus, when he's speaking and when he's operating, he's at a whole nother level than any of us, right? And I believe that the claim to forgive sins was intended not just to restore the sick paralytic to total and spiritual and physical health, but also to challenge the religious authorities to make a decision concerning Jesus' claim, that, that he can stand at the rightful place, that he has the authority and the power to forgive sins. But how do we see the religious leaders see themselves? They're the ones that have it completely figured out, right? They're the ones that have this all figured out. There's a sense of pride. We're going to see this over and over again. There's a sense of pride. There's this, this sense of knowing it all. There's a religiosity to them. The religious leaders have this all figured out, and this is not how this is supposed to operate, right? And they view Jesus. How do they view Jesus? Oh, time and time again, they view Jesus as a threat. 
They viewed Jesus as this threat to what they got going on. They must have heard his teachings in the synagogue. Jesus is in the same area and he's preaching in the synagogues. It says that while casting out demons. So they must have heard this, right? They, they heard him preach with authority and power. They, they saw him heal. They, they actually saw the demons get cast out. They're seeing this. And yet around every turn, their hearts question and don't fully see Jesus for who he is. They don't see him as the Messiah. They don't see him as the son of God. They don't see him as God in the flesh. Jesus is claiming to forgive sins. Therefore, Jesus is claiming to stand in the very place of God to exercise his authority and the religious leaders out of everyone completely miss it. The religious leaders out of everyone completely miss it. They got Jesus completely wrong. And in return, how does Jesus view them? Mark 2, 8 through 12. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up the, your bed and walk. But that you, that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. If you weren't already blown away by Jesus, there's this superpower apparently that he has where he can perceive people's hearts. He's, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's speaking with authority. And now we know he knows what everyone's thinking at the same time. He's perceiving their heart. And Jesus' response is typical. He, he answers this, he asks them a question. Jesus uses questions sometimes, often I think, but sometimes he uses questions as a weapon. He uses it as a weapon. He's like, I'm going to go after you with a question. It's brilliant. And, and we talked about this. Jesus sees us. He sees our hearts. He knows what's going on in here, okay? And, and he saw the man with leprosy. And he saw the friend's faith, and he responded appropriately. And when pride and ourselves get in the way, Jesus responds appropriately as well, right? He, he responds by setting things right, and he does this with the scribes. Jesus answers the opponents with a question, even their unspoken ones. And what happens is they lose respect of everyone that's watching. Right? The scribes, they got no other armor. They have nothing else to throw at them. In the midst of the encounter, Jesus makes reference to himself as the Son of Man. And what's going on? He's saying, Jesus is saying, I myself am on a mission. I myself am on a mission. Jesus wants to make sure that the religious leaders understand that he is indeed God's special representative. And Jesus commands the paralytic to get up, take his mat, and go home. And immediately the man gets off his mat immediately in full view of them all, including Jesus's critics and the religious leaders were forced to recognize that the man had received God's healing and had received God's forgiveness. And we see this, that Jesus is in the business of healing the whole person. Jesus is in the business of healing everything inside you, every pain, every sorrow, every physical ailment, he's going to redeem back to him. 
And it says everyone, including the scribes apparently, were amazed. Again, we talked about this last week. It literally means they were out of their mind. They were out of their mind. Again, think about it. Hole getting cut. Paralytic man comes. <laughs> Jesus gets them to walk away. I'm hoping we would all be out of our minds, right? I pray often, just so you know, for this worship service for you all to be out of your minds. I'm not joking. Like literally, would we be so amazed at what Jesus is about to do or what Jesus is doing that we would be what? Amazed, that we would be out of our minds, that we would be losing it. Some of us are losing it. Some of us aren't. I'm just going to be honest with you. Jesus displays a supernatural power. And we're first forced to look at our lives through the lens of the men in this story. How do we view our own condition? How do we view our own condition? Do, we view, do you view your life as a constant, desperate need for Jesus? Do you view your life as, I need Jesus so much in this moment, in this hour, in this circumstance, in every aspect of my life? Do we look at the sin in our lives in every area that we fall short and say, I need you, Jesus? I need you, Jesus. I need you to repair this. I need you to take my pain. I need you to take my struggle. I need you to take my hurt. I need you to take my anxiety. I need you to take my worry. I need to take you to take my self-help or hate. I need you, Jesus. I need you to take this. Do we look like the friends of the paralyzed man? Do we lead our friends to Jesus? Are we willing to do anything, anything to bring our friends to the foot of the cross who are in desperate need of Jesus? Or sometimes in my life, I have to admit, and I hope that you admit it as well, sometimes do we look like the religious leaders? Does our pride get in the way? Do we have a spirit of religiosity that we got this all worked out? That somehow the people in this room are better than the people that are out there. We're all in desperate need. And when pride gets in the way, it's like blinders that we can't actually see the desperate need. Do we have everything figured out? If we just live this certain way, if we just do this behavior modification, if we just walk these steps, it will all be figured out. If anybody has gone through anything significant in their lives, they know that there's not amount of steps that you can do that will lead you like the foot of the cross. There's nothing that will change any circumstance like knowing Jesus and saying every hour of every day, I desperately need you. I mean, Jesus is great, right? But we got this. But what we see is that God hates pride. James 4, 6. Jason, you can come on up. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... What does it say? James tells us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do we view our lives? Are we full of pride or do we humble ourselves on a daily basis? And then the question is, how do you view Jesus? How do you currently view Jesus? Are we like the man with leprosy and with the friends? Do we understand that Jesus is the only thing that can heal us? Jesus is the only one who can forgive. Jesus is the only one when we're at the end of our rope will come and make us clean. Now here's the truth of it. 
whether you are not yet a believer, whether you have been a, like you're a new believer and you're just figuring this out, or if you've been a believer for like 30, 40, 50 years, this is still true for each of us. Do we trust Jesus enough that Jesus is the only answer, that God is the same yesterday as he is today, and that he is our healer and our comforter, and we believe that Jesus can do more than we think or imagine? Because when we look at the Gospel of Mark, we see it over and over again, that he's doing more than we can think or we can imagine. And we see time and time again, people coming with desperation to just be with Jesus. Or do we believe this? Do we really believe that how Jesus sees us? Do you believe that Jesus views you as a son and a daughter of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he knows your pain? That he knows those anxious thoughts? That he knows those people that just don't know where their next paycheck is going to come from. That they don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. That they don't know what you have, like they, that you don't know where the next thing to turn to will be. Jesus sees you. Do we believe that when he sees you, that he will respond with compassion or he'll respond with anger, both good? When he sees you in this circumstance, when he sees you in this moment, will you, do you believe that he says, this is not how it was supposed to be, brother or sister, and I'm going to change it. I'm going to heal you from the inside. I'm going to make you clean. Then I'm going to heal your innermost being. And ultimately that he came to preach, repent, and believe. And that if you do, all your sins will be forgiven. And I'm telling you, if you're not yet a believer or you're new as a believer, but I want you to hear this. If you've been a believer for a long time, hear this. We continually are being made clean and being renewed but it's when we come with desperation at the foot of the cross that stuff starts to move. I've seen it over and over and over again in my life. I've tried my hardest to, I, I think I shared this before, but I got this prophetic word one time for me and there was this piece of wood and, and on this piece of wood was a single nail and the person said, hey, I see you with this wood and this piece of nail and you have a bloody fist. And the guy said, you have been just trying to punch this nail with your fist when a hammer is laying there the whole time. And so many of us view our lives like, Jesus, I know that you forgive. Jesus, I know that you do these things, but I got a bloody fist because I've been trying to punch this nail into this piece of wood. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 come to me with desperate faith. I'll see your desperate faith and I'll respond accordingly. And God always comes through. Go ahead and stand up. And the worship team, come on up. I feel like there are people that uh, need prayed over. We're going to do um, the last song is going to be Sound Mind. I, I've been praying this over each one of us that we would just have a sound mind today, that, that we would be able to view ourselves the way that God views us, that we would be able to see Jesus the way that we are supposed to, and that we would know what Jesus is doing in the background, okay? That he's doing in each one of our lives. And if you have a pain or you have a suffering or you have a anxiety that you just need prayer over, we're going to do prayer at the end here. Uh, we'll, we'll call you guys up, but let me just pray for each one of you. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for who you are. 
Jesus, we're so thankful for who you are. So thankful for the Holy Spirit that comes and makes us anew every morning, that, that gives us a sound mind, that eliminates fear and anxiety and worry. And Lord, we come to you with desperate faith right now. I'm just going to spend a, a second here. You guys just think of something that you just need God to move in, something that is just not how it's meant to be right now. Let's just pray and let's come with desperate faith. Heavenly Father, we bring everything to the foot of the cross. We trust that you are enough for us. Lord, anyone dealing with pain and sorrow and anxiety, I, I pray gone in Jesus' name. I pray peace over this body right now in Jesus' name. I pray that you would cleanse us and make us whole, that you would help us to understand that everything is under your control. Everything is under your authority. Everything is under your power. So Lord, we, we come with open hands to every aspect of our lives and we pray, Lord, would you move? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.